The Holy Gospel according to St. Mark, the seventh chapter. Jesus returned from the region of Tyre and went through Sidon to the Sea of Galilee in the region of the Decapolis. And they brought to him a man who was deaf and had a speech impediment. And they begged him to lay his hand on him. And taking him aside from the crowd privately, he put his fingers into his ears and after spitting, touched his tongue. And looking up to heaven, he sighed and said to him, Ephatha, that is, be opened. And his ears were opened, his tongue was released, and he spoke plainly. And Jesus charged them to tell no one. But the more he charged them, the more zealously they proclaimed it. And they were astonished beyond measure, saying, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. This is the Gospel of the Lord. They said of Jesus, He has done all things well. He even makes the deaf hear and the mute speak. You've probably heard that saying before, he can't see the forest for the trees. You ever heard that one? I remember hearing that when I was younger and having no idea what was trying to be communicated by it. I didn't understand the sense of the word for. He can't see the forest on behalf of the trees. It was a confusing saying to me, but it was one of those that I just kind of nodded and said, yeah, yeah, I have no idea what you're talking about. Well, of course, I grew up and finally decided to look it up. Thank you, internet. And I found out that the phrase for the trees is because of the trees. It's talking about somebody who cannot see the forest because of the trees. And you say, look at that beautiful forest. And they say, I don't see a forest. All I see is a bunch of trees. You're looking at the thing. You see the thing you're looking at, but you don't understand what it is you actually see in front of yourself. Well, you can't see the forest for the trees, I think rings true for many of us for a lot of the Bible stories, Old Testament and New Testament, especially our Lord's healing miracles and his parables. We probably know the stories pretty well when we hear it in the lectionary or read it in our Bibles at home or hear about it in Bible class or Sunday school. We've heard them countless times, we've read them countless times, we know the details, we know the people in them, we know how it starts, we know how it ends, but sometimes we find ourselves unable to make connections, unable to get like, what's the point of this? Why did the Holy Spirit include this story in particular? What is he trying to teach me here and now from this story that I know so well? An example of this, and I hope my point comes through all of this, otherwise it's just a pointless exercise, is Holy Week and creation. Okay, Holy Week, the week leading up to and including our Lord's sacrifice and resurrection, and the first week described in the Bible back in Genesis when God made the world. Now, for creation, when each of us probably thinks about that first week, I bet there's very few of us here and I'm going to go ahead and include myself in that, who would get 100% perfect each day what happened on those days. CEC teachers are like, I could do it, but no. Even your pastor has to stop and think, well, what was created on the fourth day? I've got to go check, and oh, it was this, okay? But we all know the bookends of it, don't we? We know what happened on the first day when God said, let there be light. We all know what happened on the sixth day when God created our first parents. He created mankind. And we know those really well. And we also, of course, know the seventh day. God rested on the seventh day. I bet the same is true for the timeline of Holy Week for us as well. Just like creation, we know how it starts. 
We know how it ends, but we couldn't really tell you which days during Holy Week in Jerusalem our Lord did exactly what, even though you can kind of piece it together between Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. We all know how our Lord began Holy Week with his triumphal entry into Jerusalem on the back of a donkey on Palm Sunday with people laying down their coats in the branches. We certainly know what happened on Friday, the sixth day of the week, when our Lord was crucified on Golgotha outside of the city. And we definitely know what happened on the seventh day, between Good Friday and when Jesus rose again on Easter Sunday. And we know each of these stories, at least the general outline in their right, though, I would say that, creation and Holy Week. But maybe we haven't seen the points of them, that is, the connections and the parallels between these two very important weeks in the Bible. The week in Genesis, at the beginning of the world, and the week in Jerusalem, when our Lord won our salvation. Think about it. What happened on the sixth day of creation? Like I said, like you know, God made mankind. What happened on the sixth day of Holy Week? God recreated mankind when the second Adam went into death to pay for man's sins. What happened on the seventh day of creation week? God rested from the work that he had done. What happened on the seventh day of Holy Week? Jesus Christ rested in his tomb from the work that he had done. And what happened then after that seventh day of rest? On the eighth day, as it were, or the first day of the next week, new light, new beginning. As God said, let there be light on the first day of the week in creation, on the first day of the week after our Lord had saved humanity, light broke forth from his tomb. New creation had been won and completed in Jesus Christ in his death and on that day in his resurrection. The creation of man and the world in Genesis is paralleled so crystal clearly in these few things I've mentioned and in a lot more, too, in the recreation of man and the world in Jesus Christ and Holy Week. That's a neat parallel, isn't it? I hope you find it neat or interesting. And I hope you go home and read your Bibles and try and find some of the other connections that I didn't mention. But also this parallel is this. It lays out for us the great story arc of the entire Bible, from Genesis all the way to Revelation, the great overarching story, which is the golden thread that runs through everything that happens in that book. First, you have this goodness and this rightness with God, without sin, deathless, pure, and full fellowship and joy. Then you have the bad that comes in, the sin and the death that breaks the fellowship, brings hardship, misery, and sadness into the world. And then, in the story, how does it end? Good again. Fellowship with God again. Love and unity with our Creator. A promise to restore that was given after the fall, and a promise to restore that was kept by the person and work of Jesus Christ. And full fellowship with God once again. The Bible is full of a lot of stories parables and actual things that happen, but the overarching story, this bad, good turned to bad, and bad turned to good into an eternal good, that is the best story. 
It is the inspiring story. It's the hopeful story. It's the story why you and I come here on this day and worship together and look hopefully for the future in this world and in the world to come. And don't you see, it's a story, but it's not just a story. You can watch a movie or a TV show, right? And you can have a good feeling after it. We all probably have our favorite movies that we go to and we feel really great at the end of them, right? I've mentioned it before. I usually wait till around Christmas to mention it, but I can do it again. It's been enough time. I love the movie, It's a Wonderful Life. It's not Christmas unless I've watched that movie with my family. And if you've never watched that before, I'm sorry, you are completely missing out. It's better than Elf. It's better than Christmas Vacation. It's better than any other movie you want to fill in that blank with. It's a Wonderful Life is the pinnacle of Christmas movies, and we can argue about this later. There's a voters meeting come up. Bring it up then. Okay. But I always feel good at the end of that movie. If, you know, if you've seen it and you know how it ends, it's a real tearjerker, right? Everything's coming back together. You know, George Bailey has all these friends, and he is therefore the richest man in town. And they close singing a great Wesley hymn, Hark the Herald, Angels Sing. But of course, after emotions are a little raw and I come back down, it's just a movie. Bedford Falls, New York, to the best of my knowledge, is not a real town. George and Harry Bailey and all the rest, they did not really exist. It's a writer's tale. It's made up. For all the emotion that it brings out, it is just a story, and you can leave it there. But the Bible is not that. God's Word, the Holy Scriptures, is not just a story. It's got a plot. It's got a theme. It's got characters. Yes, it's got morals. But it is a history. It is a story that actually happened, is happening, and will happen. And each one of you is a part of that story. It's not just one of those, well, it comforts me, so it's real to me. Or I grew up Christian, so this thing, this church thing we're doing in the Bible is valid for me. No. The Bible and the story that it tells of bad turned to good in Jesus Christ is the actual reality of this world that we are living in. It is truer than any science. It is truer, more important than any philosophy, any economic or political system, or what have you. And you don't have to take my word for it. All you have to do to see this and to know this is to look at Jesus Christ himself. It's not just that that man, Jesus, during his earthly life, had power. He did. His miracles and his resurrection show that. It's not just that Jesus of Nazareth spoke with authority in front of a friendly crowd or a hostile crowd. He did. He demonstrated his knowledge of the scriptures far surpassed the scribes, Pharisees, and Sadducees. And he knew the world, too. But it's that his words and his deeds, the things that he did during his ministry, were restoring what was broken. They were taking something that was bad and they were making it good. They shed light in corners of the world and men's dark hearts that were darkened. He healed. He fixed. Our Lord's words and actions and this brief healing miracle we heard from Mark 7 today and all the rest, they speak for themselves. 
testifying that God's word, God's story is both true and it is so, so very good. And so that's all the more reason for us as Christians then to pour ourselves into that word. To invest in both knowing and believing that word, that story. But not just knowing and believing it in addition to the other stories that we like or appreciate in life, kind of fit it in where we can, but to invest and to know, in this, know, know this story more than all of the rest of them put together, above all of them, whether those stories be political, social, economic, or whatever. All of those world problems that those stories are part of, the social, political, etc., those do have storytellers, very good ones. We all read them and watch them on TV that are trying to tell that story and tell the fix to them. And sometimes even those fixes to those stories and their problems are moderately successful. But oftentimes, they are like medicines that treat only the symptoms and not the disease. The deeper disease remains. The one thing, the one person, though, that is the solution to the deepest problem we have ever had, who has always shown himself to be true, is Jesus Christ. He didn't cry for justice and then do harm to others. He worked tangible good in the world, his miracles, and then the tangible good, the greatest one of Good Friday, when he died on the cross for us. He proved himself and everything that he said and did, not to just to be another story to pick from, but the author, the true author and creator of the divine story, the divine story where fallen creation was being redeemed, the divine story where mankind was being restored to God. Ephatha and other such words that he spoke to people who were in dire need of healing manifest and prove that Jesus is who he is. They show that he is indeed the light of the world, and he is the light that no darkness can overcome. Let us love him and his story forever. Amen.